Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio Program. We're glad to have you with us. My name's Jonathan, and I've got a friend on the line. I've got Gary Ingram with us. So, Gary, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Glad to be here. Yeah, and so so Gary is uh, is part of a Love and Truth Network, and we're going to get to hear a little bit more about the ministry and everything. But Gary, just to, to be able to give our listeners a little bit of background on you before we uh, dive into this topic of whether or not the church can actually be this safe and transformational environment for dealing with issues of sexual brokenness, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are in this ministry that you're doing with Love and Truth Network. Yeah, well, I love the fact that when we surrender our lives to Christ, that he doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste uh, all of the sort of the good stuff, um, you know, our education and uh, positive experiences, but he also doesn't waste uh, the really hard stuff and the difficult stuff along the way. So I grew up in a Christian home, um, realized early on after some um, early uh, sexual abuse and and exposure to uh, pornography that when I was coming into puberty that I was same-sex attracted and really confused about that, um, horrified about that, uh, prayed and prayed for God to take that away and, um, and, and realized over the course of weeks and months and years of time that that wasn't going to happen. And I, I really began to judge uh, God and, and feel like, look, you condemn this in your word. Your word is clear that this is not your desire and will for us, uh, but yet you, you seem to not be lifting a finger to help me. And so I, I also bounced around from public school to Christian school, back to public school, and then to homeschooling, and then eventually wound up at a local Bible college uh, in almost 17 years old, just because I didn't know what else to do with my life. But I was really angry with God and, and frustrated with the church. And when the college uh, gave me the boot a couple of years after I started, um, that was it for me. And uh, I, was, I was just done with church and, and with the school, uh, with God. And uh, eventually and you, found. And, and I, were you given the boot because of your same sex attraction? Yeah, actually, I should have clarified that. It was, I was experiencing a lot of uh, just deep emotional struggles. I, I had been wrestling for a long time. I grew up in an area outside of town and so didn't really have any close friends. And so when I got to Bible college, I was, I was sort of starving for friendship and relationship and yet not having a clue of how to engage that way. I was pretty socially inept and very shy, very withdrawn, very insecure. And, uh, and so a lot of, just a ton of emotional uh, pain and um, immaturity really came to the surface and uh, really dealt with a great deal of anxiety and depression as well. Some suicidal, you know, ideation too. Uh, not, not because, interestingly, not because I felt like people weren't embracing homosexuality, but I wanted something more. I wanted something different than, than all that I was wrestling with. I eventually wanted a family and, and those kinds of things. And I felt like that was more and more, I felt like that was outside of the realm of what I could possibly secure uh, or step into. And so I was just getting more and more depressed as time went on. And so the school ultimately um, called my brother uh, who had graduated co-valedictorian two, two years earlier and, or I guess a year earlier. And uh, you know, the perfect student uh, in a sense, and uh, he was a pastor at the time and they called him and just said, look, we, we're, we're um, having to dismiss your brother uh, because we're concerned about him potentially even being suicidal. So um, yeah, so th that was the reason for it. But I found uh, somebody made a comment, offhanded comment about a, a local gay bar. I had no clue that anything like that was even around me. And so um, that, that really opened up Pandora's box for me. I was just drawn to that like a moth to the flame. 
and eventually found it. I didn't have any idea where it was. I just knew the town it was in and eventually found it, um, went in, uh, it took me, uh, I don't know, a week or two, probably even work up the nerve once I found it to go in. I'd never had a drink in my life, never been in a bar, certainly. And, uh, and so I did um, go in one night and, and that, that broke the ice and I was there every single day, um, you know, weeks on end uh, because I felt like I'd finally found my people. I felt like I finally belonged somewhere. And uh, so that was uh, really, really powerful stuff. Very intoxicating actually, just emotionally got into a relationship very quickly, moved in with the guy and, um, and just began this life that I felt, okay, this is what I've been looking for. You know, this is, this is who I am. And it took a while, but Paul's words in first Corinthians six eighteen that says where he's warning uh, his, his church, warning those he cares about to flee from sexual immorality. It says that every other sin that a man commits outside um, uh, every other sin that a man commits um, outside of sexual sin is a sin against their own body. But the one who sins or the one who sins against um, themselves sexually sins against their own body. I totally butchered that verse. Uh, oh, okay. The gist is I began recognizing, I began to feel this erosion um, and, and a lot of conflict uh, just in terms of what I felt like my identity was and as a gay man versus um, this is, this was not what I signed up for. Uh, I just began to be in these revolving doors of relationships and, uh, and, and went in directions I never thought that I would. And uh, it began to really wear on me. And eventually, even though I grew up in a Christian home, I really eventually surrendered my life to Christ for the first time in my early 20s um, after this point. So then, um, uh, obviously, along the way, you had some, some animosity towards the church, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. you, you really turned <laughs> your, your back there. So when you came to this place of surrendering your life to Christ, what kind of challenge was that to then try to seek to be engaged with the body of Christ after you had kind of said, man, church burned me. I don't want anything to do with church, but then you obviously found a relationship with Christ and certainly a relationship with Christ. He draws us into yes. the the very thing that you had turned your back on. So what was that like? Yeah, well, it was, um, it, I, I would say it was, I felt pretty ambivalent about it. On the one hand, I, I wanted to be back in church. The Lord is really drawing me uh, to, to be in community. At the same time, I was really afraid of it. And particularly, I was afraid of Christian men. I was afraid of being in the context of, uh, of guys who I, I was often totally ashamed, um, uh, felt shamed by, and didn't measure up to and those kinds of things. So uh, when I came back to the church and I, I found a church that was pretty decent and uh, growing and uh, pretty alive, got involved with their college age ministry and, uh, you know, eventually um, uh, really began to feel some acceptance there. Uh, one of the things that was also true about me is that I, I, I tended to bounce around and move around to a lot of different places, lots of different states. I've lived all over the country. And, and so that was something that continued to be true. So even though I got into church, it wasn't long before I was on and, and, and uh, moving to another state. Uh, but I started actually dating a girl um, at this church that I was uh, start where I was going. And, um, and she and I, uh, I shared my life, my story with her. She shared hers with my, with me. And we just thought, I mean, the, the salvation experience I had was so radical. I, I just thought, and, and dealt with same-sex attraction very little after that for a period of time. And I'm like, oh, this, I mean, God must have done something that I've been praying all these years for. And uh, we wound up getting married about a year and a half or two years after all of that. And, um, and that marriage only lasted for three years before we were separated and, and she left. 
and uh, not because of sexual sin on my part or her part, but um, as these feelings started to reemerge again, because they were unhealed, um, as they started to kind of surface again, I, the only way I knew to deal with them, I was kind of in a panic, was just to sort of disconnect. And as I was disconnecting, I was disconnecting from everything, including uh, my wife. And, and uh, so it was, was pretty, um, in a sense, hard-hearted, yes, but just disconnected, feeling less in many ways. And uh, ultimately, that led to um, a year of our separation, and then she filed for divorce. And so the very thing I desperately did not want, um, and didn't sign papers for any of that, but what I did not want was a divorce. And uh, and so I began to be angry and bitter toward God again that He didn't do more to heal my marriage. And and so there's this theme in my life of blaming God, you know, for 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 all of the woes in my life. But I went back into homosexuality, but it was very different. Um, because I was now a Christian with the Holy Spirit living inside of me, not just a religious kid who didn't want to hurt his mother and father and that kind of thing. But um, now I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And, and so there, there's, there was this real war that I hadn't experienced kind of the first time around. And, uh, but it got, again, God eventually several years into this got a hold of my heart and, uh, and drew me back into a church that, um, that was really walking with very broken people in a very open way. And this kind of leads into... Um, the topic that we're talking about is that I've been in a lot of good churches. I've been in a lot of kind of mediocre churches. I talked to several pastors who were, um, were good men, uh, but didn't have a clue of how to help me. And a couple of them had no interest in that whatsoever when I was seeking help early on in my teens and my early twenties. And then, um, but this church, and now I'm in my early thirties when I'm really working on surrendering my life to Christ again and, and trying to get back on track. And uh, in this church, I, I emailed the pastor and told him my life has devolved into adult bookstores and gay bars socially, and uh, I desperately want help and support. I'm addicted. And, and his response to me was essentially, hey, if you want to move here, I was living in Chicago at the time, if you want to move here back to upstate New York where I grew up, um, he, we'll walk with you. And uh, so I did. And that church you know, really picked up the ball. I got into counseling right away with them and into a lay counseling ministry ministry. Uh, started receiving a lot of support that way. I got into a small group right away. And then eventually I, um, I knew the Holy Spirit was just prompting me to, uh, to respond and go to their men's group, which is the last place on earth I wanted to be. Uh, but God used these guys in, in so many ways, the community of men, which I'd never had in my whole life, except for the gay community. Um, he used these guys to, in many ways, refather me. And uh, it wasn't one man that was going to do that, but just the community mm -hmm. uh, called out what I, what I didn't even know was missing and really called out a masculinity that I didn't uh, believe that I even had. And so yeah, this me, church really walked with me. Let me ask you about that, because I want to have maybe a little bit of a sidebar conversation on that issue of the, the fear that you said you had about Christian men. And then maybe we can get into, okay, yeah, what does that look like in a church setting of how, how men and really anyone can, can seek transformation? Because, yep. you know, you've mentioned a couple of times this idea that, man, you had just this you're terrified of getting into community with Christian men. And then you specifically mentioned about masculinity there. Can you describe yeah. to us maybe what that fear, what you, what you were afraid of? And then can you also mention um, how this refathering really helped you gain a proper perspective of what true masculinity is? And if you wouldn't mind trying to maybe give us your definition of how you would try to describe what is true masculinity and how does that differ from what we've been maybe given even through the church and certainly our culture. Yeah. 
Well, those are all good questions. And um, uh, one thing I'll confess off the bat, I've never been diagnosed with ADHD, but I'm sure that I um, have it. <laughs> so whatever I don't address, feel free to loop back around again. Uh, right. Yeah, so I think, you know, it's important. It's a great question in terms of, you know, what is um, authentic masculinity? And I know different people have different thoughts and opinions about that. I do think that there's, there's mystery involved in both our masculinity and, and certainly in femininity as well. But uh, which the, the mystery is actually part of what's intriguing and, and part of what's interesting about that. But when I say, when I talk about authentic masculinity, it has nothing to do with um, cultural ideas or has little to do with cultural ideas of what masculinity actually would be. Uh, there's clearly, um, you're, you're looking at the sort of the entire package of, of uh, not only what it means to be God, but also what it means to be fully human with Jesus and what it means to be a man. Uh, and so Jesus obviously demonstrated both what it meant to be really gentle and tender with certain people. And he was also, uh, you know, anything but that with others. And, and so there's, um, but yet in many ways, I think when people look at Jesus, he doesn't fit the norm of, of what we would say, at least in the West and in, in the United States, of uh, sort of a cultural view of a man's man. And yet, of course, he was like he's the ideal. I think D King David is another phenomenal example of what it means to be masculine in all of its parts and pieces. I mean, here you have a king who is both a warrior, but is also a poet. You have a king who um, is going out and leading armies in battle and yet is also able to weep. And and so and 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 play instruments and so plays the I just think that what's that <laughs> he plays the harp yeah right? I mean exactly exactly but uh, and also I mean you have this uh, probably the foremost um, incredible friendship that he has with another brother that he has mm -hmm. with another man and that's David and Jonathan so much so that in the end of uh, when when uh, Jonathan uh, David is lamenting Jonathan's death. Uh, he literally says, you know, that um, your love was was beyond the love of women. And 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 I what I love about what he says in that piece. Um, let me actually say what I don't like. What what frustrates me is when my former community, uh, the LGBT community, looks at that that verse and says, oh, see, they were bisexual or there was some kind of sexual connotation going on between them. Um, first of all, there's, there's no indication of that whatsoever. But secondly, what's sad about that is that what we take is this incredible picture of brotherhood, of masculinity, of, of having each other's backs, and, and really an ideal kind of friendship um, that we see in David and Jonathan. And we begin to um, dismantle that and, and make it something that's, that's, that becomes sexual instead of, no, this is something that we as brothers in Christ as, as men can aspire to in terms of our openness and our um, commitment and loyalty in friendship. And so we, male friendship designed by God is not meant to be this loosely mm -hmm. connected, this, this, this sort of thing that all we do is get together and we do certain projects or, or hobbies or what have you. And yet emotionally, we're completely disconnected. I think uh, he meant much more for us than that. So, uh, so masculinity, um, for me, like I know that I bear this, the scars, the outward scars of, of kind of my past involvement. Some of that's in my voice inflection. Some of that's in my mannerisms. And uh, it's, it's very different than what it was when I'm sort of fresh out of adult bookstores and gay bars and, and brand new in this men's group. You know, it was really obvious, really, really obvious then. But I know that I still bear some of that and carry some of that. <clears throat> and I used to kind of hate that. Um, but, but, you know, really it, it is a demonstration of the mercy of God, the grace of God, and, and it's okay that I still 
carry some of that around, it doesn't inhibit me from fully expressing and living out um, the man that God has created me to be mm-hmm. um, and, and, and being even a spiritual father to many men who have never struggled with same-sex attraction. I mean, that's what has astounded me. Yeah. One of the things I'll just jump forward and say, you know, this church that I, that I uh, came to, absolutely broken, totally addicted, getting into, you know, support and ministry in this men's group for a long time, a year and a half, uh, I guess it was two two years later, they hired me on staff. Like, I mean, they heard my, it was a church of about 1200 adults at the time. They hired me on staff um, in a, in a pastoral role and as a, as their business administrator. And eventually I became the director of their counseling ministry and later pastor of soul care ministries, overseeing their support groups and um, recovery programs and things like that, their counseling ministry. And I mean, it's just crazy to me that, that God would, um, would so transform a life to be able to even enter into that kind of thing and that he would use a church to, to know my story and, and to, to know me thoroughly and yet say, yeah, we want you to, to be on staff with us. We want you feeding into and ministering in the context of our own church. So let's, yeah, let's jump into that because uh, talking about masculinity and all that, I kind of want to put a teaser out there for our listeners that we expect to have you back, Gary, to where we can talk a little bit more thoroughly about what it means to be made in the image of God as male and female. We may be able to even unpack that a little bit more in a future episode, but let's talk about the church Um, and specifically, yeah, what does it look like for a church to be a safe and transformational environment. And maybe if, you know, cause that's so much of what you do in your ministry, right? I mean, right, you come right. alongside churches and help them create the right environments for transformation to take place. So why don't you just take us from the beginning of, you know, church a, we've got church out there. Let's put it kind of in the bell curve of the typical evangelical Bible believing church and uh, in America and where are they typically needing the most attention to work on this area of becoming a transformational environment for those specifically dealing with sexual brokenness issues? Yep, yep. So I'll jump into that. Um, but first, let me just back up a little bit from that and just say that one of the things that we've, we've seen is that you can't, um, we can't as ministry leaders just go into a church that we're being invited into and bring a template, um, a template of ideas, mm-hmm. uh, sort of in the same structure and the same order that we would give to another church. Uh, the truth is, we have to be really contextual, depending on the, um, the the denomination of the church, depending on whether it's an urban or rural church, depending on the history of that church and what what have they gone through, what what issues and, and struggles have they experienced in the realm of. Um, of, of sexuality or um, identity issues or what have you. And there's a bunch of other things to consider too. So I would just simply say that um, we have to be really contextual when we're looking at um, working with a leadership team at a church and with a broader church. Having said that, uh, it, let's just kind of take a generic um, uh, church, uh, kind of what you described, Jonathan. One of the first things, it begins with a conversation, uh, usually with a pastor, or there's um, a connector, an influencer within the church who connects me to or, or whoever to the, to the pastor. And, um, and we begin a dialogue and conversation. And, and I think it's important also that um, we as ministry leaders, so many of us can be so passionate about what we do. We can recognize just how desperate culture is and how desperate the church is. To, um, to really grow in their understanding and what um, Dr. Julie Slattery has, has coined as uh, sexual discipleship, uh, to really to grow in that. 
Um, but in our passion for that, sometimes we, oftentimes, we have difficulty navigating um, and uh, rather than kind of coming in like a bull in a china shop. So we have to come in and, um, and, and bring our understanding and, and, and our expertise and our story uh, to, the, to the table. Um, but we have to do it in a way that, that invites the pastor, that invites the leadership team into this kind of um, th this story and this this idea, this project with us, uh, and 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 so that really this is going to probably be um, many multiple maybe phone calls, mm -hmm. maybe some Zoom calls, uh, visits to the church, leadership training over Zoom is, is a lot of what we do as well before coming and doing like a weekend of um, you know on-site ministry. But it begins with the pastor. And what, what we would also say certainly is anything that's going to shift in the church um, is going to have to be something that the pastor and the leadership team really buys into and catches a vision of. Uh, it can't be, from my, my perspective, um, somebody might be able to come you know, to the pastor who's been involved uh, in the church and have a desire to do a ministry um, that deals with sexual brokenness or deals with LGBT issues or deals with pornog breaking pornography addiction or whatever. And, and that pastor may just hear it and sort of, and say, yeah, I trust you. I bless that. But I, it, which, which, is, which is in a sense, that's wonderful when that happens. But what's unfortunate is that, that we can set up um, a, uh, a program or a group within a church and and there will be a few people who benefit from it but the larger church is untouched by it which is tragic frankly uh, because the truth is we all every man every woman deals with sexual brokenness there's not a single one of us who doesn't and it may right. not be sexual addiction honestly in church what we find is there are many leaders who haven't been sexual with their husband or wife in um in years and and mm -hmm. that's looked at as being you know nobody is even questioning that so whether it's asexuality or it's sexual addiction or sexual brokenness in all those kind of in between places we we all experience that on some level so the entire church can benefit from um from work in this area so we work with the leaders we work with the leadership team uh, we want to open up um, opportunity to to teach and to coach, but we also want to open up lots of opportunity for Q&A so we can and encourage disagreement, encourage pushback so we can really get down to the heart of what is that person actually thinking? What do they actually believe? We don't just want to have a bunch of nodding heads. We want to be able to right. address some of the things that if they don't have the courage to say, I disagree with that or, you know, or this loved one. Um, they're wonderful. They're a wonderful person. And I feel like you're saying they're bad. And I'm not going to tell you that because I'm just going to disagree with you internally and nod my head externally. We want to kind of draw out all those internal um, uh, disagreements and questions so that, so that we can really gradually get on the same page. And then it kind of rolls out to the broader church. So I know that sounds like a lot. It can take six months or a year of cultivating sometimes, or it may even be a pretty quick phone call, some pretty quick um, you know, a week or two later, we're doing some leadership training or a month later and two or three months later, you know, we're, I'm there on site um, doing a, a weekend of ministry. The other thing that's so key, Jonathan, <clears throat> is when people ask me, I'm often asked, you know, what's kind of the number one thing that we can do to, um, to become a safe community? And uh, one of the things I think is absolutely essential is that we, we start to crack open three minutes four minutes on a Sunday uh, morning. And I know it's tough. I, I know what it's like to schedule down to 15 second increments on a Sunday morning, but, um, but it, we need to have several minutes, I believe, of doing, um, building a, a library of 
some video testimonies, many video testimonies. And you might have to pull from the internet to start with or some other churches, but ideally it would be people, you start to pepper in people who have the courage to start sharing their own stories in your own congregation. And, and every Sunday, you've got a different story about a different topic, a woman who's recovering from the abortion she had 10 or 15 years ago, uh, the, the, the guy who's overcoming um, uh, alcohol abuse or, or substance abuse, drug addiction, uh, the, the woman who's breaking a pornography addiction. And yes, that happens uh, mm-hmm. for women too. It's not just a guy's issue. And so you've got all this wide variety. And also, I love it too, when you get a testimony about a woman or a man who recognizes, you know, I grew up in the church. I've never really dealt with sexual brokenness issues, but I've been full of self-righteousness and I have actually fostered environments that, um, that help that I realize I've added to this idea that the church isn't very safe because of my self-righteousness and my judgment. That's a beautiful testimony, sort of the other bookend from all the sexual addiction stuff that, that we can kind of bring to the table. Yeah. So a lot of what I hear you saying, we've just got a few minutes left, Gary, but a lot of what I hear you saying is you're trying to um, you're trying to shift the conversation and even help a lot of these pastors and leaders to be able to s- see the uh, how to ask the right questions. Because I think, um, uh, you know, you've probably you've dealt with a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders, right? And it seems to me like a lot of the ones that I've dealt with, um, they're, they're looking at so many things as a problem to be fixed. Yes. And it's very easy then to just sort of, without even realizing it, throw all of your people into that category. Okay, we've got all these people out here and they've got problems that need to be fixed. Before long, you start seeing the people as a problem that needs to be fixed. Yes. Instead of what I hear you in your story, when you had a pastor that was willing to say, come up here because you're a life that needs to be walked with. Yep. You're a life that needs to be discipled. And that's a very different environment from, Gary, you're a problem that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Right. And so that's what I'm hearing you say is we need to shift the language. We need to shift the focus, shift the paradigm of how are we coming at this? Are we coming at it as trying to segment people into their problems or actually seeing is how are we drawing everybody into a discipleship uh, pathway? That's absolutely true, Jonathan. And I think one of the things that that has um, frustrated me, particularly in the LGBT, or for those of us who experience same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria or whatever, um, or or even just um, uh, gender nonconformity, uh, but I think this is true even for others who may deal with uh, heterosexual sexual brokenness or what have you, is I feel like as a church and as Christian leaders, in our desire to not be uh, condemning, in our desire to not uh, judge and write off, um, and we've seen that in, if we've grown up in the church and we've become church leaders, we've seen that in prior churches. We don't want to be like that. But um, what I've seen is the pendulum has kind of swung the opposite direction. And rather than casting a vision for the goodness um, uh, that God has for us and, and, and God's high call for us as, um, as gendered beings, as men and women made in his image, uh, rather than casting a high vision, it's almost like in the church we've lowered, kind of lowered the bar um, and I think we've done it out of the best of intentions. I mean, not every church has done this, but it, we've, kind of, we've done that out of the best of, of intentions, wanting to not be unkind or, or having a lack of grace. We want to have lots of grace. But um, where, where I come from, as someone who's come out of the LGBT community, what I've realized is part of what um, gave me hope and gave me um, uh, um, a reason to kind of to move forward and to, uh, uh, to really lean into all that God had for me, the more 
that's a phrase I love. The more that God has for me, the reason I, part of the reason I did that is because the people around me weren't lowering the bar. Like they saw something big for me. They saw something that I could never see for myself. And, and I needed to lean on some of their vision. And so when we have a low vision in the church of what people who deal with sexual brokenness or sexual addiction or LGBT or, for, or anything else for that matter, when we have a low view of, you know, just you're, it's just good that you're here. Yeah, we need to be happy that they're, they're, they're with us and not pushing them according to our own agenda. But it's different to not push somebody versus being able to communicate, not just in words, but even our affect how that we see that God has something big for you. We see that God has something for you to really aspire to. Well, that builds hope and excitement and, and, and does give us a reason to keep fighting the battle of, of addictive behaviors that have held us prisoner for so many years. And that's the, that's the message of the gospel. The vision that God has so has for us is so big that we can only attain it by grace. And so therefore it's like none of us, if we lower that bar to make it seem as if like, well, Gary, you can achieve this. Well, guess what? We've just killed the gospel because the gospel is no, none of us can achieve the vision that God has for us apart from his grace through Jesus. Well, Gary, this has been a phenomenal conversation and and I want to be able to point people to uh, your resources in your ministry. So tell us how folks can learn more about what you guys are doing at Love and Truth Network. Sure. The the simplest and easiest thing would be just to go to our website, which is loveandtruthnetwork.com. You can go there. You can uh, There's a, a connection tab if you want to reach out to us that way. Uh, that's probably just the simplest way to, uh, to do that. Well, thanks again for the conversation. We look forward to having you back here again uh, when we get to talk more about the image of God and how he uh, designed us male and female. But Gary, we've enjoyed it. Thanks for being with us. Great. Thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate it. And listeners, of course, we're always glad that you're with us. Please reach out to us at puresexradio.com or on Twitter at puresexradio. And we will see you back here again next time. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.